Yo, what up? We are back with another episode of Big Ten Coast to Coast. It's your boy, Ant Wright, along with Maddie, Matt, Lukens. What's up, man? What's up? Uh, Michigan State's out of the tournament, so we got no more Big Ten teams to root for. We even, you know, very quickly tried to adopt UCLA as a Big Ten team. <laughs> that didn't work out either. Um, so now we're just kind of sitting here <laughs> on our uh, hands – Hands up going, you know what? We still got Wisconsin. We still got Wisconsin. Final four, baby. <laughs> In the NIT, yeah, but no no uh-huh. NCAA teams to root for anymore. Now I'm I mean I've been team chaos since since IU lost, but um now I'm I'm purely team chaos. Like I wanna see um you know, I wanna see Texas lose. I wanna see Miami in the final four. I wanna see um, uh, you know, I, all the one seeds are gone, which is fun. Like I just want to see just absolute pandemonium. Oh, I love it though. I love it though. Um, Wisconsin uh, went to Oregon, beat them in a game where they were really physically and athletically outmatched, but it was a, it was a close game yep. late. And one thing that Wisconsin does in close games, they do a really good job at closing it out or they do a really good job at hitting, hitting the right shots they need. And um, they were they were they put themselves in that same spot. They were down by like eight or nine in like mid late second half, and I'm like, oh, game is over. Um, but then kept watching. They kept hitting shots, kept getting stops, um, and they found a way to to like claw themselves back into it. They made the stops they needed to at the end, and they were able to go ahead and win that game, which you know is is good for them. It's good for them because. You know, we've talked about it before mm-hmm. the NIT, like a lot of programs use this tournament to really propel them. And then when you're in a, when you are in a program like Wisconsin, who is really steady year, year to year, and they don't really get those guys who go pro early. That's happened, you know, that happened to, you know, Johnny Davis. I get it, but that's not going on every single year, Right. So you're getting guys back and you've got three, four, five-year guys in the program going and competing in Vegas and winning this tournament um, can really catapult them to, to go into 2023, 2024. Yeah, I mean, the NIT is a really good, you know, diving board basically into the next season, right? You end up leaving yeah. a, you know, a really good taste in your mouth, right? at the end of the season, like, again, only three teams in all of the, you know, all of Division One end up uh, ending the season on a win, right? It's the end. Unless you're Mary Mack. Unless you're Mary Okay, Mack. well, that's, a, yeah, but, all right. Well, there there is a bit of an asterisk this year, but for the most part, <laughs> there's usually only three, and that's the CBI winner, and then the NIT, and then the NCAA. And so. Congrats to Charlotte on winning the CBI. Congratulations. Yeah. Almost Congrats to 20-point lead, but congratulations. They still won the game, so it's fine. They, they did win the game. Yeah, well, that's all that matters. Um, and again, I think Wisconsin has a good shot at winning this. Now, they got to get past uh, Tyler Perry, who's one of – not Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry, who's um, <laughs> so, so good. Guard. So good. He's another, he's another little guard. I, I'm starting to see a pattern. These guys are good, and they just end up getting under-recruited, right, because of size, but – 
Absolutely. Because they don't have the wingspan. They don't have the 40-inch vertical. And then the funny thing is, the people who lose their jobs are losing to guys like that. <laughs> They're losing to the little 5'9", exactly. 5'10 guards who just hit them up for like 25, 8, and 6. But coming out of high school, they're like, mm, it's too small. I'm like, okay. Three years later, that dude is just lighting them up. Right. Yeah. So I do think that that maybe in college, uh, some of the upper level coaches might want to start looking at these guys. I'm, I'm just putting that out there. But yeah, 17 Stop points per game. For rankings. Go get you some dudes, man. Yes. Yeah. 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 So he's so good. He's so good. He's listed at 5'11. He's not 5'11. There's no way this guy's 5'11. No, there's no, no shot. This guy's 5'11. No but with, with I mean, they're a good team. Like, so, like, again, like, now you're getting, I mean, you just went out to Oregon, right? That was a team that I thought, you know, again, was on the bubble and I thought underperformed early on this year and kind of picked it up as the season went on. Um, so that was a big win for Wisconsin. This will be another big win. I know, I know it's North Texas, but they're a good team. Legitimately, they're a good team. Yes. Yes. The way that they were able to handle Oregon's size and wingspan and athletes. And they were frustrated for a while. They were really frustrated. And they just found a way to just like hang in there and battle and do well. And North Texas is a very good team. Well coached team. That coach is probably going to coach in the, in the Big 12 next year. Um, I believe he lost with Texas Tech. Mm. But he's not going to be at North Texas for that much longer, <laughs> to say the absolute no. least. Them going to Oklahoma State and winning that game, um, pretty much out-coaching Boynton late. Uh, he did an, outst- an outstanding job, but um, don't want to stick on the NIT too much. Michigan State, Kansas State, um, that was one of the best games of the tournament when, when you're talking about just sheer offense. Man, like both teams were like it was blistering. It was blistering. If I send you the Michigan State box score prior to the game, how much are you betting money line for Michigan State? Oh, I, I put money, money line Michigan State that game. I, I put money line Michigan State. I, I put like $10 on it and I ended up losing, but it's, it's fine. Like that was, yeah, like you said, that's one of the games of the tournaments. I mean, every trip down the floor, you knew the ball was somehow going to end up in the basket, especially late on in the second half there for both teams. Like they were going to find a way to score one way or another. Um, I mean, Kansas State offensively, I mean, the way they run through their their main guard, uh, it, yeah, no, is is just – Noel's crazy. I mean, he, he's picking – he just absolutely picked apart Michigan State's defense. Who, by the way, it's not like Michigan State had a good defense all year long. That was never their calling card, right? But it's Izzo. He scouts teams so well, and he was – and he got – what, like a few days of prep to prepare for this? Mm-hmm. You know, man, you score nine, 90 some points and you're in the tournament, and that's against an Izzo defense. Very, very surprising. Very, very surprising. I mean, it was surprising, but I mean, by the end of the second half, it was not surprising the way in which they were losing. I mean, he was hitting some ridiculous passes and some ridiculous shots. I mean, Noel is. They didn't turn the ball over either. Kansas State had what, five turnovers? When they're one of the yeah, worst I, in the country with turnovers. One of the worst. 380. Yeah. I, so, look, and sometimes you just run into guys in the tournament and you just like, you know, tip your cap, right? That's one of those games where if you're a Michigan State fan, you just tip your cap. 
you Michigan State played their A game and still lost to a team that played like S plus tier gameplay. Okay, like that that is like above an A. That's like beyond this. That's like a hundred and ten. Yeah. On offense, and that's all you need in the tournament. That's all you need. I mean, look at the teams that are left in the tournament. There's not. I don't believe there's a team in the top ten or top even top twenty defensively in Kempom. San Diego State is probably up there. I think San Diego State might be up there. I'm gonna hold up my pub. I'm just making sure. I'm not talking out my ass. But I'm fairly certain that of the teams left, San Diego State's fourth, Texas is tenth on adjusted defense. Um, but those are the only two top 10 defensive teams yeah. left in the tournament, right? Houston's out. That was five. Alabama was three. They're out. Number one was Tennessee. They're out. UCLA's UConn out. And Creighton are right yeah. yeah, UConn and Creighton are like right there on the outside at 13 and 14. But yeah, but yeah, I'm with you. Like Miami's at 104th. Gonzaga's at 73rd. Gonzaga should have lost to UCLA, bro. I can't believe they came back. Oh, Gonzaga, um, oh, they almost folded. They almost folded. Unbelievable. Yeah, but Gonzaga's got dudes. That's the thing. Is Gonzaga's good. They they, are. They have been. We knew this going into the year, right? Who were the favorites going into the year when you looked at the rosters? It was Kansas to repeat. It was Gonzaga. And it was Houston, right? Those were the three. Everybody pointed out. I don't think people thought Alabama was going to be as good as they were. They thought they were going to be good. I don't think they thought they were good. Texas was up there, right? I don't think UConn, people thought UConn was going to be as good as they were. UNC? (laughs) The people, whoever said UNC was going back there, I'm sorry. Me and you both said that they were frauds. <laughs> we were. Th- this is part of the reason why I even got to get on this podcast with Ant. I'm fairly certain is because I think Ant remembers this. We were both talking about UCLA. Both of us like, nah, <laughs> nah. I don't see it. I'm like, look. The only reason they made that run last year is because they were about to be on the outside looking in, and then Hubert Davis was like, okay, I'm done playing all you guys. I'm playing six dudes. That's it. And Brady Manic was the best power forward in the country for about three or three or four weeks. Maybe not the best, but top five, easily top five. Then you replace him with Pete Nance, and you think that you're going to come out and be a top five right. team in the country? Exactly, exactly. It, it was amazing. Um, very funny. Um, but yeah, so again, like the teams that people thought were going to be there were there, right? I think I think Houston. You know, you know, I think faltered a bit. All right, they were your team going into this year, um, and they ran into a buzzsaw in Miami. Miami couldn't miss a shot in that game, really. And and Houston normally is a team that absolutely just manhandles you defensively, and Miami didn't care; they just ran past them, <laughs> right? It was blow by after blow by after blow by by Miami. Um, they were getting everything they wanted at the rim too. I mean, just an absolute masterclass on offense for Miami. And that's why they're sixth in Ken Palm in adjusted offense, right? You have three of the top six teams in, in Ken Palm adjusted offense are, are in the Elite Eight. That's UConn, Gonzaga, and Miami. And UConn, Gonzaga might be the best game of the tournament. That, that game is going to be yeah. fun. 
right? That's going to be a lot of You have Texas is sitting out there at 15, Creighton at 22. That's low for Creighton, honestly. Is that not? I think Creighton's like top 10 offensively, which is a pretty good offensive team. But anyways, these teams are really – every team is really good on offense. And I think when you go back and you look at the teams that were good on offense, there's a reason why they might have upset some teams or gone further than you thought. So, um, you know, again – it's an off, it's an offensive game basketball in 2022 2023 right it's what it is right you win on offense like defense you know people say defense wins you championships but i don't see a ton of really good defensive teams left i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you i don't see it i don't see it like Sorry, i don't see it. it good like it's it's almost like the nba is starting to slowly creep into college basketball because they always say it's an NBA that good offense beats good defense now, right? Your 1970 cliches are no They are no, no longer work. work. It's no longer work. You I, can, I, I you will can, say this. Go ahead. I will say this, though. I think the only reason why offense is um, a little bit better, people are going, it's not better. All they do is jack up threes. And like, like, no, you have to understand that it's better because – the defense is always at the offense's mercy because these kids are so skilled, are so, so skilled, and they know how to use their bodies as to their advantage. I do think, though, that the basketball IQs themselves are lacking. I do think understanding on how to play is also lacking. So skill level is up. Knowing how to play is down. And that's really hard to explain, but – understanding certain angles and understanding just the nuances of the game, I think is lost. And a lot of kids just aren't really playing as much as they used to. They're, they're training a lot more, they're drilling a lot more, but they're not just going out and just playing, experimenting different, different actions, playing, you know, what happens on the left side. If I go left, what, what happens on the right side? If I, go left towards middle. And if I do this, what if I see this defense or that defense? Not everything is reactionary, a little bit too robotic, but it's, um, no, that's just, yeah, that's, yeah, that's whatever. But, um, I kind of want to go on a soapbox right quick. Do you mind? Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. The floor is yours. All right. So look, this is what pissed me off about the national media's obsession with like Big Ten failure. Like they don't keep that same energy. So mm. the Pac-12 is, you know, the quote unquote conference of champions. No titles since when? 1997. The SEC, whole bunch of cushy seeds, and they can't even get past the Sweet 16. But you hear nothing. It's quiet out here, right? Here's the thing. I can talk shit about my family. I know we have our issues. Every family does. And I know we have our problems. We can fight about things, but you can't talk shit about us, the big 10, and not expect us to come right back at your neck. Like you don't understand us. You don't know what it's like watching a football game in the ice and snow. And then in January, go to Iowa or Wisconsin for a 9 PM tip on a Tuesday night. So, and you got to have the coaching staff and the recruits and the dudes built for that night in and night out. But as I said before, like our family, the Big Ten does have its problems. So I have five things. I have five things for you. 
Now, a couple are going to be generic, nothing earth-shattering. I have more than five things, but I think these are the five most important. All right? And I kind of want to go through them with you. Is that cool? Let's hear it. All right. So let's do it. Number one, number one, get old, get old fast. So what does that mean? So no big classes. Stop with these ginormous classes. No five or six man classes should ever happen anymore. Ever should ever happen anymore. Stop doing it. It doesn't work. It will never work from now and on. It's just not going to work. A two or three year transfer. Get them. A transfer with two years of eligibility is that sweet spot. So you have two years. Two years means that they're a couple years removed from high school. So they're matured or game ready like right away, but also they're going to have two years at least in the program. And we've seen what a second year transfer does even on these tourney teams and contending for conference. So look at Jalen Pickett, Tyson Walker, Chase Hadiz just finished year three as a transfer and how good was. Mm, right. I mean, he won defensive player of the year. I mean, like <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Him and Boo Booey partnering up, um, you know, just made Northwestern very, very tough. Very, very tough. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, I think you're, I think you're dead on. Uh, it's part of what I've been trying to preach to the Indiana fan base, right? Like uh, Indiana got two guys just like that and should have been on this team. Like, I feel like this, this Indiana team should have been a, a title contending team had Xavier Johnson been healthy, right? He's a transfer that you got with two years of eligibility left. And this is the second year in the program, right? Um, he goes down injured. Miller Cop was a transfer Indiana got with two years left of eligibility and stayed in the program. Look how important he was in the Kent State win for Indiana, how important he was all year long. Like those guys are extremely important. Both those guys were starters for IU, right? Um, he, I think Jalen Pickett, what was, should have been a unanimous first team, all American, not just conference player, right? Two year transfer. Uh, I think Tyson Walker might be the best guard in the league, right? Just overall guard yep. in the league. Two-year transfer, right? It's no surprise that these guys are out there doing well. I, you should build your program around having holes in the roster to try to get guys like this. If you believe in your recruiting hard enough, I mean, it's a little bit risky. Yep. But if you can go out and get a guy like this, it takes your team from – Oh, this would have been a you know if you're a good program would have been a five or high level program would have been a five star freshman to this might be one of the best transfers on the market right and a guy that can give you 10, 15 points consistently right there's a freshman out there you can get and you can go after that's a five star freshman that can get you fifteen but he's not gonna get you fifteen consistently go look at what Brandon Miller just did to, to Alabama right in their Sweet Sixteen game right yeah well, you're like the way <laughs> For anyone over 35 attempts, he had the worst percentage. He's the only player ever to shoot under 20% from the field in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I don't think – look, I'm not trying to say that Brandon Miller's a bad basketball player, okay, because he's not. He's a really good basketball player. But Brandon Miller is a freshman playing in March against grown-ass men. Like, that is not a formula for success for Alabama. 
right? They had to go to their other players, right? Had been there. Javon Quinterly was the guy making plays for Alabama down the stretch there. He's a guy, what? A two-plus year transfer, right? So again, you got to go and get guys that have experience and that are dudes, yeah. right? Noel for Kansas State was what? A transfer this year? Mm, no, he transferred a couple years ago. Yeah, but he still transferred in, yeah. right? So he again another transfer that they got brought in, and you know they have completely and utterly revamped the roster around. Given that Nigel Pack leaves, goes to Miami, right? And they're better for it. Yep, and he's a fifth year guy. Like, yeah, he's a fifth year guy. So, like, if you're looking at if you're looking at you know, when you are getting these classes in of two, three recruits, be fully transparent. Be like, look, you're probably not going to play in your first year. I'm going to bring someone in, but you need to rub elbows with them. So when your number is called, you're ready to go. Because what's going to happen is if you come here and you don't play that much, and then you leave, you're automatically going to drop down one or two levels. So, Write it out the first year or two. We can right. even be like, hey, come in and and I will redshirt you. Then you'll be ready to go your your redshirt sophomore season. Not a lot of kids want that. They want to play right now, right away. You know what? It will almost never be like that as long as this transfer portal situation is what it is. So it's going to be very rare for freshmen to come in right away play and have an and have a very high impact that did happen like that happened this year you know who was on the all freshman team who was on the all freshman team this year um connor sigian he was on there right um jalen hutchifino jet howard and then either fletcher or Braden smith right Only- and Only I two of those guys went to the NCAA tournament. Only two of them did. And you could have gone with Braden or Fletcher, yep. in my opinion. Uh, then when you come to Jalen Huchifino, you know, like a lot was asked of him when Xavier Johnson went down. A lot was asked of him. And he had to grow up quick. And he didn't – he yep. wasn't playing at this high level at the end like, like he was at the end. He had to – slowly get to that point right slowly get to that point and when he got there he stayed there which was huge but end of the end of the day if you're relying on freshmen especially in the backcourt which we'll get to next (laughs) but when you're relying on freshmen in these high value positions you are unserious you are unserious. And I thought Indiana had a had a good team this year with Xavier Johnson. I think their ceiling gets a bit higher. But still, you gotta get old, you gotta get old fast. And we just mentioned um we just mentioned uh Jalen Pickett, Tyson Walker, and Chase Adige, which is funny, right? Which is funny because you know, yeah. those are the three that ended up being on teams that Ended up doing what? <laughs> Being the best showers <laughs> in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, so brings us right into the next solution: guard play. Got to get serious about it. You got to go hard on it. And 
this is something that if you're looking at your roster and you're like, oh, we'll be all right. You are an unserious program. You are not serious about contending for anything this year. Anything. Get serious about it. None of these coaches, kids anymore. None of these nice guys. Go get you some dudes. It's no surprise the three best backcourts we just talked about it are the ones who fared the best in March Madness. Michigan stay with Walker, Hogard, Aikens, Northwestern with Boo Booey, Adige, Penn State with Funk, Pickett, Winter. And of the eight names that I just said, five are transfers. <laughs> but you need dudes on the court. Dudes in the backcourt, certified assassins who think they're the best guard on the court, no matter what. Now, where are the Cassius Winstons? Where are the Trey Burks? Where are the Iowa DeSumos? Where are the Carson Edward types? I don't see them. I'm sorry. I just don't see them. Now, where are the game changers in the backcourt throughout the conference? I just don't. I just don't see it. And that's why this conference was unserious this year. Um, we talked about it all year long. The backcourts are just not good enough. I did think Michigan State had the best shot at a national title right. because of their backcourt. And I stick to that. I just think that their backcourt gave them a shot, gave them a chance. I didn't think they were going to win it. But if any team was going to win it, you can like, go – Go listen to, um, go listen to the Mark Titus podcast. I went on. He asked me if um, if 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 uh, if any Big Ten team is going to win, who's it going to be? And I just said Michigan State, and that was because of their backcourt and their and they play through their guards. I didn't think that they were going to win, but they had the best shot just because of how their team was built. Um. Where are the game changers? There are none right now. You got to go get some either from high school and you find a way to develop them and you keep them in the program for a year or two, or you got to go get one from the portal. You, you have to. You have to get you some certified dudes. And if you don't, like I just said, like you are just unserious. You are unserious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Like, so I've been trying to, again, I'll, I'll go back to this every time. I've been trying to tell the Indian families the whole time. It's so like, oh, IU offers, um, I forget his first name, but Dual, who's a, he's a, was a former Providence commit, a four-star recruit. Um, and they just went out and, and offered him. All the IU fans were like, oh, yes, four-star freshman. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> we already have two freshman guards coming in. <laughs> I don't – this next year's team doesn't need freshmen. It doesn't. Like, I know like, a lot of college basketball, especially Big Ten fans, are stuck looking up to – and Indiana fans are going to kill me for this, but they look up to, like, the John Calipari's of the world, right, where they look at those teams and they see a team full yep. of five-star freshmen and future NBA guys go, like, that would be fun. Right. That would that would be so much fun to watch. I would love my team if my team did that. Right. And look at what Kentucky has turned into. Kentucky moved away from that. Yeah. They're not freshmen anymore. That Kentucky team this year was almost entirely transfers. They had a five star freshman and and Case Case Wallace playing. But Sheboy transfer. CJ Frederick, former Big Ten player, transfer. Right. Um, Toppin. Transfer. Talking about no final fours in a lot. 
No Final Four since 2015. That too. I mean, go look at Duke. Duke had maybe the best freshman team ever created when they had Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, and Cam Reddish. That team lost to who? Some veterans. (laughs) A Big Ten team. (laughs) And Michigan State. And some veterans. And Cassius Winston. Right? That was, by the way, that was one hell of a game. But that that Michigan State team was built like what? They had transfers. They had Xavier Tillman, who was a fourth-year big man, right, who who was a veteran, steady presence on that team. Cassius was like one of, if not the best player in college basketball that year, outside of the, the Duke freshman. Did they have Did they have transfers? I, f- I thought for sure they had some transfers. They had at least a transfer on that roster. I don't know if they – I got to go back and look. Go, go, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. But e- either way, that team was built for March, right? It was built around guard play, and you had an all-conference, all, all NCAA guard in, in Cassius, right? And now you go look at the Big Ten teams this year. It's like Purdue was the best team, right? They had two freshman guards. Indiana was the second highest seed in the Big Ten. Should have had, you know, a, a, a uh, you know an older transfer guard got injured. Went into the tournament with only one true guard. Only one true, not even a point guard. Really, is a combo, right? They're relying on him for minutes. Um, Illinois. The whole question all offseason I had for everybody that told me that Illinois was going to be good this year was, who is their point guard? Who's their point guard? They don't have guard play, right? They have some of the best wings, but they don't have any guard play. Yeah. And it came down to who had the best guards in the NCAA tournament. Kansas State, on that day, had the better guards than Michigan State. Even though Michigan State's guards played pretty well, but they had the better guards that day. They lose, Right. Purdue ran to a team of five guards, lost, right? Who, who has the better guards on that day is what yep. wins you championships. Go look at the UCLA game, UCLA-Gonzaga game, right? We're going to adopt UCLA as part of this. Gonzaga had the better guards. Their guard made, you know, Strother made the most important shot of the game at the end of the game, and they end up Yeah, he was on fire late. No, he went off I, late. I told, I'm, I'm number one Julian Strother fan, and I have been for a while, <laughs> and I look like a genius now. But it's true. Like Again, you need some absolute killers in the backcourt. Big Ten just didn't have it this year. Just didn't have it, right? And if I'm going to take one positive thing from this, and that is I thought, and I still will stand by this, I think Purdue's guards are going to be really, really, really good, right? Eventually. Eventually. Eventually, they will be really, really, really good. You're unserious right now if if you're just going to dole that, dole that group out. Like, you are unserious right now. And I know that there's going to be the sophomore leap. Can't wait to see it. End of the day, you got to get better. And you know what? They are hitting up some guards in the portal that are pretty good. So I'm interested just to see how that's, how that's going to look. Also, a quick note, uh, Michigan State uh, in the rotation did not have – a transfer. The one was, uh, and that, yeah. Yet. The the one was a uh, Braden Burke, but he was like on. He didn't play okay. that much. Okay. But outside of that, anyways, one, they they just 
recruited. That's an anomaly, though, right? That's that an absolute anomaly. Izzo does find does get his guys, and you know what? What he does a good job at he he doesn't get a lot of transfer outs, and if there is a transfer out, someone who's pretty obvious. So when 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 he brings guys in, they're rubbing shoulders with some of these older players, and he's playing these young guys early in the year in big games, even when they maybe shouldn't be playing in that game, but these minutes are going to help them play throughout the big 10, right? If they're going to be able to play 10, 12, 15 minutes, and that's just a part right. of their growth and, and, and development where, where Izzo could, you know, he could maybe go to one of these, you know, November tournaments and go two and one and drop a game, but you know what comes out of it? Maybe a quad one win, but also he just got a freshman about 50 good minutes against some good competition. And that goes a long way. Now when you play against Northern Arizona, you want to play against Sienna. You want to play against um, a big sky team who comes in, who's going to lose. You have, you can play those right. freshmen, those minutes. Cause if they're looking at a team like Weber State coming in, or like, um, or like a like a like a Prairie View coming in, or Bethune Cookman coming in, they could play a freshman against them because they know that they've already played against Kansas, they've already played against Kentucky, they've already played against Arizona, they've already played against some of the better teams in the country, right? So they're able to trust them. In those games, and that's a part yeah. of all the development to get them to the meet of Big Ten play starting in what January. <laughs> exactly. So again, like freshmen and, and building your team. I mean, Izzo, Izzo is an anomaly, right? Izzo, like, Izzo is like kind of by himself in that because like he's just found. I don't think many coaches are okay with taking licks early for the future. I think all of them are like hell bent on winning this game, no matter what, even if it hurts development down the road. You know what I mean? But he's so confident in his, yeah. he's so confident in what he's trying to do and his message that he's going to stick to it. And like, there's a reason why he's gone to what, 25, 26 tournaments in a row? Like, that's hard. Like, do you know how hard winning is in college basketball? Like, good Lord. And he's yeah. and he's not only winning, he's he's going he's going to compete for a national championship almost, you know, pretty much every single year. Yeah, I mean, that's why it was a goat, right? Of, of <laughs> a current goat of Big Ten coaching, right? So um, I mean, yeah, look, roster construction in this conference has been a problem with it for a while. There looks like there'll probably still be a problem next year, unless a couple of teams near the top actually are serious about this. Like if it, they got to get serious, like IU needs to go out and get, well, now that, so now they have a big man that transferred out of the program, right? Logan Duncan left. So now there's four spots open given that, you know, that everybody that yeah. is going to leave and Jalen Hinchfino goes to the NBA leaves. Um, four spots open now for IU. That needs to be filled by four transfers, not a freshman. Four transfers, two of which need to be guards, or, or one needs to be at least a guard, two are forwards, and one needs to be a, a backup big. 
and they got to be dudes, all of them, all of them. They got to be dudes, right? They- so again, like, who is that in the transfer portal yet? I don't know. I think we're. I use probably waiting. I think a bit. They've already done some official visits with some guys, but I think they're probably waiting a bit just to see who else gets in the portal, right? Because again, like, I feel like we're what. 30%, 40% the way through the people that will be in the portal? Like, not even halfway at this point. Not not even half. Like, you're you're talking probably going to get up to about 1,700 names in there. Uh, right now, there's about seven, 800, something like that. So we'll see how that yeah. goes. Um, so the first two points, one is getting old, get old fast, right? The second point, you got to be serious about your guard play. Right. You got to get dudes in the backcourt. I think both of those points, that's where you go to your NIL for the resources, right? And maybe this third point, but the but points three, four, and five are going to be the the toughest to manage because a lot of it is beyond your be beyond your control. So the third point, the third point, you have to have a sophomore plus pro. A one-and-done pro does not move the needle for me. I know you have your Brandon Millers, your Gigi Jacksons, and Cam Whitmore's and all that, but they run up against a grown man who's 22, 23, 24 years old. It doesn't matter. It does It does not matter. Right. Look who's left in the NCAA tournament. Look who's left. If you look at the NCAA tournament teams left, Florida Atlantic, do they have a one-and-done? No. Kansas State? No. UConn? No. Gonzaga, no. Creighton, no. <laughs> San Diego State, no. Miami, no. Texas, Texas probably has the two most talented freshmen left in this tournament. And those dudes are Dylan Mitchell and Arterio Morris. They are playing the two least amount of minutes in the <laughs> NCAA tournament of the 10 guys who play for them. Dylan Mitchell plays 10 minutes. Arterio Morris plays 8.3 minutes uh, combined. They are averaging 0.35 points a game. So I highly doubt any of those dudes are going to the NBA next year. There are no one and dones left. None. So they don't move them. They don't move the needle. Get you a pro with at least a freshman year under his belt. This is one of the hardest things to do. Because there's so few and far between, there's not a lot. So remember Tari Eason, left Cincinnati, then becomes a first-round pick from LSU in 2022? Brandon Pajemski left Illinois. He went to Santa Clara. He's getting a late first-round grade. Now, there's a guy in the quarter right now who fits that mold, Amari Abram out of Ole Miss. If you want to go get you a pro, there he is, 6'3", 6'4", combo guard. Remember this. There's going to be a couple more. But sophomore plus pro. Michigan was 17 and 12 at one point. And a big reason was because they had Kobe Bufkin, a year two player who's seen as a first round pick right now. Matt, so he had to grow up quick this year. But imagine Indiana getting Jalen Hutchrafino back, TJD to come back. But imagine, just imagine, I know he's had said he's gone, but, but just imagine him coming back along with Xavier Johnson getting a waiver. That's a national title contender. Oh, yeah. But, but, but we know that's not going to happen because everyone is on their own no. timeline, which is completely fine. But those are the type of perfect formulas and timelines you need 
to truly compete. Like TJD, TJD coming back, Hood Shafino in year two. He was good this past year. Imagine he's how good he's going to be in year two. Then you have Johnson coming back, and then you fill in with some dog transfers who are like twenty four years old. Like that's that's a serious team. That's a team who you're going to be like, okay, they're they're going to be not only a top two, top three seed, but they can compete for the Big Ten championship. And, you know, they could finish first, second, third, fourth, doesn't matter. But from a national standpoint, they're going to end up like Purdue in 21-22, where they're still going to be like a top two, top three seed and be seen as the best team in the league. And they're going to get rewarded for it. And then you got the backcourt. You got the defense. You got old guys and TJD and Xavier. And you got a year two pro. And you got a couple transfers. I'm not trying to excite you right now, but I'm just saying that is a team that competes for a national championship. That's a team that goes to a final four. That's a team who's going to be playing for in going to be playing in an elite eight and probably be four and a half to five point favorites. Like those are the serious rosters that the big 10 needs to get to. Yeah. I mean, you can't hurt me anymore. It's fine. I, um, <laughs> No, but no, but seriously, seriously, like IU would have that roster next year. It's not going to happen because I don't think either of those guys are coming back, right? And I think you agree with me on that. Uh, I mean, Trice has said so, basically said goodbye. Um, so we know that's not, that part's not happening, right? Um, at the very least. Right. But IU needs to have a roster like that to help the Big Ten. As much as it's crazy to say to help out your rivals, Right. And this is part, and we'll get to your point five. The spoiler, I already know what Ant's points are. Um, but when we get to point five, I will talk about this. But good teams need good competition in conference, right? And this year, that was the problem for Purdue. And Purdue was a good team. They weren't built like a serious team, but they were a good team, right? Like, you remember what they were like in January, right? Or what they were like in November. Right, when they were crowned national champions. Well, who else was good in the Big Ten this year? It's like after that, there was a steep cliff that the, the teams fell off, especially when you were looking at them from, you know, November. Right? When you're looking at them in November, there's still teams winning their, their games, but I, I don't think anybody really thought that. Illinois was for real at that time. You know, there's a whole thing going on with Sky Clark that they were losing, right? You can see that the guard play. They've won some big games, but they're also just like they've lost a game to, what, Eastern Illinois, Southern Eastern Illinois. Which directional Illinois team did they lose to? Um, I lost to Eastern Illinois. Who, Illinois had a bad loss in, in the conference, to though, too, right? No, it was just Iowa and Michigan. Okay, okay. Anyways, but even I was looking good, right? And then they lost that game, right? So, again, the conference needs tough competition. You need multiple teams to be good in one year, right, to help each other out, to make each other better, right? Because at the end of the day, right, if you are Purdue and you're playing Minnesota and then you're playing Ohio State and then you're playing, no offense to Penn State, but Penn State, and then you're playing – 
an Indiana team that's got its obvious issues, and then you're playing Illinois, who has their obvious issues, and then you're playing Michigan State, who, again, has their obvious issues, right? And you're playing teams over and over and over again in the conference. You are not getting better, right? Your competition in the Big Ten is actually making you worse. You are not progressing in the same direction in which teams in the Big 12 are, because they're playing against absolute demons night in, night out. Like That's why Kansas State and Texas are in the Elite Eight, right? Because they had to play Kansas, and they had to go and play Baylor, and they had to go and play an Iowa State, right? These, Their conference was strong because they had the, enough good teams to help them get better. Right, and the Big Ten really hasn't had that since uh, 2018. Yeah. Right, 2019. Sorry, 2019. 2019 was the year that the Big Ten had mm-hmm. the, you know, I think the best talent it possibly ever had. You know, Michigan State ends up in the Final Four, Purdue's in the Elite Eight. They have Michigan in the Sweet 16. They got eight teams in the tournament. Um, I think four teams actually won their first game and ended up progressing to the round of 32 and, and ended up losing there. And then you had the other three teams uh, that I aforementioned teams that ended up doing well in the tournament, right? People can come and talk to me that the NCAA tournament is a crapshoot, right? Cause it's all about seeding and, and who gets seated with you. But my counterpoint to you is this. If your league is good enough, teams will progress because if the, if it's all about luck, then if you get enough good teams in, one of them is going to have enough good luck to make it past, you know, or or make it further than the other teams, right. And have an easier road, right. If you have good teams, if your conference develops good teams, the last three years, the big 10 has gotten 18, actually last four tournaments, the team big 10 has gotten eight teams in. No team other than Michigan since 2021, the last three tournaments, has made it to the Elite Eight. It was Michigan in 2021 that made it to the Elite Eight. There was, in, in that year, in 2021, no other Big Ten team made the second weekend. It was just Michigan. Last year, Michigan and Purdue losing the Sweet 16. Michigan probably wasn't even supposed to be there, right? And then MSU losing the Sweet 16 this year. I'm kind of skipping ahead here, but the Big Ten needs better teams and better roster building, right, to compete with the ACC and the Big East and the Big 12, right? Because every single year, those conferences have multiple good teams. That's why Creighton is still left there, and that's why Miami is still there, and that is why there are two Big 12 teams still there. It's no surprise. UConn, there's two Big East teams. These conferences year after year have teams at the top of the conference that have competition. There was no competition for Purdue this year. And it showed because they stagnated in February. Right? They absolutely stagnated in February. They went 4-4 and in the conference. Why? Because they hit a wall. Because they weren't playing against teams that were actually serious. They didn't play any teams like that. And so we sit here as Big Ten fans and we wonder why the Big Ten sucks every year. And that's because as a whole, 
the Big Ten is shooting themselves in the foot year after year by by playing the certain style of basketball and doing the same roster construction year after year after year after year, thinking that something is going to change. And nothing ever changes. And, in fact, the only two teams that actually change up the meta in the Big Ten is Michigan and Michigan State, right? Those are the two teams that end up actually trying to change something and trying to do something different, right? It was Michigan under Beeline, and it was Michigan State because you had Izzo, right? And those were the two coaches. Beeline was willing to go and get and develop guys, and so was so was Izzo, right? We just pointed it out that that team that made the final four, that Izzo team that made the final four with Cassius Winston, right? Had no transfers, right? He developed everybody on that team, right? Basically. And you go and you go look at the beeline yep. teams, right? And they developed everybody on that team. The Michigan, te- Michigan team that made the elite eight in 2021 went and got some dudes for the backcourt, Right. They had some guys on the team, and they had a second-year pro, and they built that roster exactly how you talked about, right? They even had a five-star freshman, right? Or I guess Hunter Dickinson was like a four-star. But depending on where you looked, he was you know, very highly rated freshman, right? So, again, those are the only serious rosters that the Big Ten has had over the since 2011. And I'll talk about more of this when we get to, to point five, but – Basically, the whole roster construction and the way people develop and the way teams are playing each other and the style of play in which they play in the league is detrimental come March because these teams are not prepared to legitimately compete in games. So so that so that goes right into the fourth point, which is roster versatility. Yeah. There is none in the conference for the teams who could have it, they don't work on it because they can't. The teams are all built very similar, play pretty similar. And if you don't play that way, you get beat up and can't make the dance anyway. Look, look at Penn state. Look how decent they ended up being, but they were a 10 seed and they went, I think what 500 in the league because they didn't yeah. play, play like a big 10 team. So yeah, really it comes down to, like you may need the better coaches and teams in the league to apply league-wide pressure with getting rosters who will compete at a higher level nationally, which kind of to your point, I think JB and Izzo did a really good job of that throughout the 2010s because they were able to get if, – if you're talking about yep. the type of talent they had on the perimeter – they put a lot of pressure on these teams. They put a lot of pressure on someone like Wisconsin. What did that end up doing? Back-to-back Final Fours could have very could have could have very easily won it in 2014 and 15, uh, especially if you know Kentucky doesn't hit that big shot against them. I don't think Kevin Ollie beats beats Wisconsin in 14. I'm sorry, and then in 15 you go up against right a team that was just filled with perimeter pros in that, in that Duke team. And it wasn't just freshmen on that team. They had Quinn Cook, Grayson Allen, <laughs> right? <laughs> Two pros. Uh, they also had um, Justice Winslow, I believe, and then surrounding uh, Okafor and 
That, that was mm-hmm. just a really, really good team, really well built. The perfect balance between veterans and talent and pros. Um, and that was a good game between Duke and Wisconsin. They very easily won that game. There's just not enough pressure being applied right now. And I feel like a bunch of teams are just doing eh, like, like there's no real pressure. There's no real threat. Right. Do you think Matt Painter really feels threatened right now in the conference? No. Do you think Tom Izzo really feels threatened in the conference? I think what's, what's under Tom skin is he wants to get to another final four and want to win a national championship. So he is attacking getting better players a whole lot more than he has in the last few years. Um, but who's really, who is, who's really going out there? Who's really going out there and getting that roster who can compete at the, at the highest level, not getting guys to, to compete just in the, just in the big 10. Um, that's definitely killing, killing the league. Like the league is not producing pros from winning programs right now. They're just, they're just not where before you not only had lottery picks and first round picks, but these dudes were were coming from really good teams. So let's go right into it because like you kind of, you kind of hit on that as well uh, on point five, which is, um, when someone says the Big Ten is deep, that is not a good thing. <laughs> That's not yeah. a good thing. And what you were talking about, Matt, you were yeah. talking about the the level of play up top. I think it was just Purdue this year, where usually the best when the the best this conference is is when they have when they have three or four teams in that top fifteen range, right? Where they're going right. at each other, and then there's a clear very clear second tier than a bunch of bottom dwellers. So having a lot of depth is not good. It's not good. Tim Long at TDL815 on Twitter had a really, really good point to add about this, um, where he was talking about how a few teams in their emergence has, you know, added, you know, depth to, to the league. And I'm sitting here like, that's not a good thing. So Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, Illinois, Northwestern, Penn State, even Nebraska this year. Their emergence has changed the balance of the league because unlike other conferences, nobody really took a, took a big step back when those guys emerged. So now at the now in that second tier, you don't have a bunch of cushy wins. So for example, in the ACC you had your basement dwellers, but then teams took a huge step back like Florida State and Hughes and all those guys. In the Pac-12, you have Cal and Oregon State, Stanford, you know, Washington, Colorado, just super just terrible teams. Then you lose a bunch of games with the Pac-12, and they still got two two-seats. They got UCLA and Arizona. Why? Yeah. Because they were able to do a little bit of stat padding. You know what I mean? Um, but when you're looking at the Big Ten, those teams get better that we mentioned, right? Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, Illinois, Northwestern, Penn State, you know, even Nebraska this year. Um, those teams get better. But Purdue, Michigan State, Iowa, they all just didn't budge. 
<laughs> they all just kind of stay where they usually are. And then even Michigan and Wisconsin were still on the bubble in late February, right? You had these teams who were still who were still yeah. right there. Just no opportunities for quick, easy dubs. If you show up half-assed to like 12 or 13 of the 14 teams, you're going to lose. Point blank. You're going to get yep. There are no nights off. So the league has a depth problem. They have too much depth. Not a lot of cushy wins on the table to really bump up wins to get some of these teams off the 7-8 line, 7-8-9 line. Now, imagine Northwestern getting a, you know, let's say, you know, there's a couple teams who are more like Minnesota than Michigan State or Illinois. There's more Minnesotas, right? Northwestern goes to 14 and 6 in the league. Mm. What, 22, 23, and 9? What's that like a five seed? Right? Now they're not getting UCLA in the round of 32 anymore. They're getting a much more manageable opponent. Right? You're getting a four. You're getting a 13 because there's upsets, right? Much more manageable when you're when you're looking at the grand scheme of things. So I went back to 2014-15 because that was the start of the first year of 14 teams. I, th- I think that's fair. 15, 2016, 2017, 18, 19, 21, and 22. There were at least five teams each of those years, five teams each of those years with under a 40% winning percentage in the league. This past season, mm-hmm. Two, two, that's it. That's it. And I believe Minnesota was the only team that did not receive a vote on the AP at any point in time. I'm pretty sure every other team was either ranked or they received votes. I am, I'm pretty sure of that. And of course, this is the year, this is the, this is the worst showing by the big 10 since the last expansion because they don't have those cushy wins to bump their lines. That's why we end up with six seeds who have to face a one or a two seed in the round of 32. Yeah. I mean, again, it, uh, to your point, when the Big Ten is mid, they get a lot of teams in the tournament. When the Big, team is, Big Ten is good, they get like five or six. Do you know why that is? You know why it is, Ant? It's because the top teams end up beating up on the small guys, right? Like, that's that's what happens, right? And you're talking about that. Like, the Big Ten has too much depth. So I went through and I looked at how many Big Ten teams made it in since 2011. Big Ten teams made it into the tournament. And what were the results? And conversely... What was the national champion? What conference did they come from? And how many teams made it in from their conference? Right? So the years in which the Big Ten did well in the tournament. Michigan State to the Final Four, Purdue to the Elite Michigan to the Sweet 16. That was 2019. Eight Big Ten teams. This is going to be an outlier. 2018. Big Ten only got four teams into that tournament. Michigan gets to the championship game. Purdue goes to the Sweet 16. And Michigan State and Ohio State lost in very, very close games in the round of 32. I'm talking like one or two possessions. 
right? That's all four teams accounted for. 2016. Big thing gets six teams in. They all lose in the Sweet 16. Surprise. You would think so. No. 2017, same thing. Michigan, six teams in the uh, tournament. Wisconsin, Purdue, Michigan, losing Sweet 16. Big Ten gets seven teams in, and Wisconsin goes to the championship game and MSU Final Four. This makes sense. Why? Because you had two really, really good teams that year that beat up on each other. You also had a couple of other high-tier teams in that in that year that actually played well and, and made it far in that tournament. Then you have the Big Ten, has five teams in the next year. Wisconsin goes to the Final Four, and Michigan, MSU end up in the Elite Eight. Right? Again, five teams, not eight. Not seven, not six, five. Every year they've had five or four teams in the tournament since 2011. They've had a team in the championship game or the final four every year. Because guess what? The only other year they had five teams in, Ant, was 2012 when Ohio State went to the final four. And they had four teams in the Sweet 16 out of the five. Right? It's every single year that the Big Ten only gets four or five teams in the tournament. They do well. Why? because the conference beats up on each other so much that they actually improve late on in the season. And this makes sense. Go, go, go. And and you get, and you're able to work on your own personal team's depth, work on different styles of play. When you're playing Minnesota, not once or twice a year. Now you're playing that caliber team five, six, seven times. Right. And then going at it, Right. You're you're not facing a very a very above average team, right? Constantly. Night in and night out, there was either you were you were either playing a seven through ten seed or you were playing a bubble team. Night in, right, night out in this conference. That's not a good thing because above average depth just kills you. Because you got to play a certain way every single game, and you got to like it's it's tiresome. It's tiresome, and then on top of that, it's just it kills. It just it kills everything. It kills everything. The above average depth. No, it's 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 deep with tournament caliber teams, but not deep with Final Four caliber teams is that a is that a good example because because like does the big 10 suck absolutely not the big 10 mid absolutely not the issue is you've got a lot of mid-level ncaa tournament teams and as you've seen in the ncaa tournament you can lose any of those games any of those games. That's what the Big Ten is like. The Big Ten is like its own little NCAA tournament because every game is against a tourney team. Almost every single yep. outside of Minnesota, like even Ohio State, that team on paper, on paper, was a was a tournament team on paper, right? But they lost a bunch of one possession games, and that's why they were kind of yep. in their kind of in their way, and that was kind of why they. They made it as far as they did in the Big Ten tournament is because they do have they do have talent on that team. So that was another team that you couldn't really look over when it came time when it came time to play them. But 
the the amount of teams who are mid-level tournament teams is staggering, is absolutely staggering. And that's what they had from, I mean, like you could even, I mean, would would you have been surprised if they put Indiana as, as like a five seed as well? Like you wouldn't have been surprised. So like you can no. even put Indiana in that in that group of like like they're not they they were never in a spot to be like to be like a top three seed. So it was Purdue, then there were like eleven or twelve teams who were pretty much all the same. And it was a matter of who won the coin flip that day. <laughs> Congratulations. Good job. And it was exactly. and it's not like one, two, three, four, five, the top. It's is five Purdue's where it's truly iron sharpens iron. Like this was like this was like a pillow fight almost <laughs> between number two and like twelve or thirteen, just every single day. And then you saw some of those teams start to figure out Purdue, and that's why they finished out the year what like five hundred. Um, they they lost quite a bit of games there at the end because team yep. kind of just figured them out. And when that happened, like that kind of laid the blueprint and that's how you see them lose to fairly Dickinson. You know, what happens if, what, what happens if big 10 teams make well, them start the big 10 season four and four? How does painter, how can painter react now? Now painter's not rushing on how to fix it. He can slowly methodically do it. But when you're losing like that in February, right. like March is only a month away, buddy. And maybe some extreme <laughs> changes had to go down. But if they were able to see that much earlier, Purdue's probably in much better shape. But back to point one uh, and point two and point three, they were already unserious. So it is what it is at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it is genuinely unfortunate for the conference, right? Because, like, again, I, we all want the Big Ten to do well outside of, obviously, your rival teams, right? If you're a Big Ten fan, like, again, want the Big Ten to look good. But the way in which the Big Ten has gone about trying for success, right, and vying for success – against each other has been counterintuitive to them actually winning the tournament and doing the thing in which they want to do most is to actually win the tournament. Right. And so again, we're sitting here on in March 25th, you know, it's the elite eight today, right. Ant and I will be on watching games and playback later. And we both know for a fact that not only will a big 10 team not be there, but any of the teams currently playing will not play anything close to a style of basketball in which the Big Ten has seen all year long in conference, right? And looking forward to next year, I don't think that's really going to change all that much. I mean, Michigan State, I guess, depending on who transfers in and out of that program, right, and who stays, could be looking towards a special year next year. But at the same time, it's like I look around and it's just mid. 
right? It's just nothing but mid. Like, there's no second-year pro on any of these rosters that I'm looking at, right? Very uncertain rosters. I mean, maybe Wisconsin, right? The Sigian, maybe. 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 Carol Light, yeah, I can see it. But, you know, Iowa isn't going to have one of the, uh, you know, one of the Murray twins anymore, right? That's not happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, Michigan is a mess. Indiana has yep. doesn't even know if their point guard is going to be back next year. They still have to get the waiver for him, and they have four starters gone on a team that was mid in the first place. Um, so that's going to be tough. Yeah. I don't say mid, just a bit unserious. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were they're all right. They were a mid. They were a mid tourney team, mid level tour- tournament team. Exactly, exactly, and a mid level tournament team, right? And then you have Illinois, who's losing. Meyer, right, and probably maybe Terrence Shannon Jr. Yeah. And, maybe and maybe Coleman Hawkins. Like, there's so many question marks around them, and they still don't have a guard. Um, Penn State's Penn losing State, everybody, right. including their coach. Pray for them. Pray for them. I think they have three guys on the roster, right? which is a good thing for the Big Ten, by the way. Yeah, great thing for the Big Ten. Again, Penn State going back down to the bottom is great. Nebraska loses Greasel and um, their big man, whose name currently escapes me. Derek, Derek, Derek Walker. Walker. Right. Second team all big 10, Derek, Derek Walker. Please Second, yes, yes, yes. But again, like you go around the conference, going to be a down year, which end up actually might end up being a good thing. Right? Great thing. Great thing. Yeah. I mean, if Purdue returns – Michigan State does what they're supposed to do. Northwestern gets IDs and Boo Booey back. That's a possibility. Rutgers shouldn't be that bad either. I think losing Cliff Amurier to the draft may be a blessing in disguise. Uh, they have Cam Spencer come, coming back for another year. Possibly your favorite, Paul Mulcahy, coming mm-hmm. back. Derek Stephens should be there. They have a really <laughs> good wing and Gavin Griffiths coming in. They don't have a maybe on Hyatt, who knows, but they have their roster is not going to be bad next year. Wisconsin is Tyler Wall coming back? Probably. Uh, Crowell, uh, does he have, you know, he should be back. Hepburn should be, I'm like, they return pretty much everyone. Um, don't be surprised, man, if you see Wisconsin, Northwestern, Purdue, and Michigan State being in that top five range in the big 10 next year, then we're going to get back to a whole bunch of mid down low. And like you said, it should be a good thing. Yeah. I I do think the bottom of the conference will be bad next year, which is going to be nice. Right. Again, you'll have nights off in the big 10 next year. Like Minnesota probably will be. Right. I'll say the only team that, that was bad this year that I think improves Significantly, as I think Ohio State probably doesn't have as bad of a year. Yeah, I don't see that happening again. A lot of people people are kind of down on Holtman. I'm like, eh, I would I would hold that. Holtman's a good coach. I would and, hold that. Holtman's a good coach, in my opinion. He has yeah. some. He has some. Yeah. Uh, he has some bad luck. But you're going to get a couple guys back, and then the Agpara when Zed Key went down. 
Akpara did a, a really good job. His growth over the last month or two has been real good to see. Um, they lose sense of ball, but I don't think that's a really bad thing, honestly. Uh, but they also got uh, no. your boy, your boy Roddy Gale showed out in the last couple of games. Something that I've been waiting for all season. He had what twenty on Purdue, like fifteen on Michigan State. Like he was killing. I need to see that coming right back next year. Thornton should should uh, should return. Uh, they have some really good players coming in via recruiting. They're gonna need to hit the portal uh, and get some real serious players as well. Um, but next year should be interesting, man. But like right now. Right now, if if you're looking at the top four teams, you know, it's going to be Purdue, Northwestern if they can get that backcourt back, Michigan State and um, and Wisconsin, and no order, no order there. So don't yell at me just because I said your team like second, third, or fourth. Yeah, I just I hope for the Big Ten's sake again. It's only like six or seven teams in the tournament. Because again, if you go back and you look at the conferences that have won in the last. Seven, eight years. Yeah. Outside of UNC making it with nine ACC teams, it's like Kansas, Big 12 has six teams in. Baylor wins it, seven teams in. Eight, Virginia wins. ACC only had seven that year. Uh, Big East wins with Villanova, six teams. 2016, Big East wins with Villanova, five teams. ACC wins with Duke, six teams. Big East wins with UConn, four teams, right? It's these conferences that get quality in over quantity, yeah. end up doing well right and, and making it that far and then they have a team that's that's there at the end of the year at the end of the tournament lifting the trophy and and i will say those teams that made the tournament this year from the big 10 1000 percent deserve it that's not what we're saying we're not saying that they shouldn't have been there but what that says is for the conference for the conference itself it shows that they're not good enough up top um right exactly you know what i mean that's what i'm saying if if if, if this conference had Level like the level of teams that the Big Twelve had, right? And they had three of them at the top. Those teams would be so much better because they had to go through the Big Ten. But because Purdue, we knew were frauds the whole time, based off the roster so construction, based off of who's the head coach, based off of the history of Purdue. Based off the freshman backcourt. Based off the freshman backcourt. Like you, uh, uh, based off a bunch of factors. We knew that they were frauds. Every bit of it was just un, was just an unserious roster. And it's crazy how we said that all year long, and then it was just poetic justice for them to lose the way that they did to a 16th seed. Um, now, they were the first one to lose. No, they are the second one seed to lose, but they also were fully healthy. Virginia was not. <laughs> On top of that, yeah. UMBC was also lights out that game. <laughs> Fairly Dickinson did not play a good game on offense. So, what did they shoot? Twenty nine percent that game from, from, from the three, floor, but from the floor they were around thirty. Yeah. So it was it was just an ugly game all around. Not but good. for a team with nobody over six six to stop you, and from a talent standpoint, not even close. Um, was kind of wild. It was kind of wild. But we could talk about Purdue for Haley Dickinson all day long, but that's just one of those games where they had no business losing, just like they had no business losing to St. Peter's last year with a the pro. They had no business losing to, you know, North Texas 
in Indianapolis three years ago. Matt Painter needs to stop these shenanigans. Please. Please. Yeah, he does. He's single-handedly trying to ruin the big time. Yeah. And I will, I will not stand by quietly and let him do this. Okay? I will not what? let him do this. If Purdue lost to lost to Kansas State in the Elite Eight, that would have been fine with me. That would have been fine with, with me because I would see why. I I can't see it with I can't see it with Fairleigh Dickinson. I can't see it. And they just won. And it's not like they got bumped in the Big Ten tournament early, so they were out of sorts. They just won the Big Ten tournament. So that just makes it way worse. Yeah, but they had such a Mickey Mouse run in the Big Ten tournament, too. If we're going to talk about that, they didn't have to play any of the top teams. Did they play a team outside of the double-digit seed? No. no, they didn't. No, wait, Rutgers no. was a nine or yeah, or an, an, was an eight, right? Yeah, sorry. Rutgers was an eight. They didn't play anybody better than an eight seed. Yeah, that was the highest seed. Yeah. They didn't be they didn't play Indiana, right? Because Indiana lost to a good team in Penn State, who was a 10 seed. And Purdue plays their third game in three days, and Penn State's on their fourth. In four yeah. days. And they beat Ohio State, yeah. And that was what a two-point game. That was a really good game late. That was a good game. Yep. Yeah. So really again, like you go and look at the, what Purdue had to go through this year, and it's like they didn't really get challenged at all. When they played, we were like, oh, they had such a good non-conference. It's like, did they? Did they really? Because you go back and you look at that non-conference. Like, they played Gonzaga and Duke when they were like 25% the team that they were at the end of the year. Right, Marquette. Same and they beat Marquette. But I mean, yeah, but you, but you can't just take those away. Like, I'm I'm not taking those away. They beat them four games in a row. They beat them four. I'm just saying they they aged so well, right? But at the end of the day, it was in November, right? And they didn't progress because of the Big Ten. You can't be like. You can't be like, uh, well, congratulations. You were more prepared to start the season. Like, how about these other teams prepare themselves better? Like, how about that, you know? How about that? How about that? How about that? Those wins just don't go away. I feel you from a standpoint of who you were in November aren't who they are going to be later. That's why I am a huge fan of beginning the conference season earlier in late November, spread them out some more so you can have five or six non-conference games throughout January and February. Why don't they do that? Why? Yeah. Why? Like, just do it. Just do it. Take some of these, take some of these games that, you know, don't have, you know, don't have any of these big time. You can have your November uh, holiday tournament, and then before that, you can have a couple buy games. But after that, don't have any games against any other uh, high major school. Just have your, uh, just have your, um, your, uh, just have your conference starting late November. And then have a few games in December. And then now we got like a week and a half between conference games throughout January and February. And then you get to play K 
Kansas in mid-February. You get to play uh, Duke in mid-January. You get to play Florida late January, right? You get to play, uh, if you want to go West Coast and go play Gonzaga or St. Mary's or uh, Washington. Like, Like, there should be, remember Bracket Busters back in the day? Oh my yeah. goodness! All the mid, like all the mid majors, did it, and you didn't know who you were playing until like one to two weeks out. They should have that for for high majors too, to be like, hey, so like, but you know, all you know is you're either hosting or going somewhere for like, and you know that for about three to four weeks, but now. ESPN or Fox, CBS, whatever, you now have two months of November, December to see who's who. And you're like, you know what? I want this team to play against this team because I want to see what that looks like. So now, so now in this whole like Purdue thing, you could see where Purdue stacks up against like, okay, how does, how, how does Purdue Texas, how does that really look now? Right. Or even like a um, even like Indiana, man, man, like Indiana, like Indiana, Iowa State or like Indiana, UCLA, Indiana, Baylor. Like, what does that look like? And now you have a better idea of how good are these conferences against each other, really? Because November doesn't tell us that much. Right. Exactly. Especially when teams are working in freshmen and transfers and you've already had, you know, like Purdue's playing a set system and they bring in guys that are set, for, you know, set for their system and they're already mentally prepared and, and physically ready to play at a level in which they can just plug and play into the system. Right. So like that's where Purdue yep. ends up winning the non-conference every year because they go and they're so good. And one of why the reasons why Painter is, really good at building his program and identifying talent that fits the position that they need. Now, the problem is when they do that, (laughs) right, they leave holes, right? Because the way in which they play is, is so predicated on having this gigantic behemoth down low and, and playing through him and, and guard play needs to be there. And, you know, again, Purdue's killing this conference straight up. Purdue is killing this conference. Wisconsin, Wisconsin <laughs> is killing this conference. Um, the way that they play is it's on mid roster who were just fine. Is you know what that you know what this is? I know you're a video game game guy, so like you would know what it is. It's like finding the meta and abusing it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the best way to describe this and would you're be not very skilled, but you know a meta and you just stick with it because you know it works almost every time. Right, yeah. So, so for instance, like uh, I'll, I'll use this reference. So, like we're we're gonna say video games, like Pokemon, right? So, for those of you who don't know, like it's a trading card game, right? On top of being a video game, and in the trading card game, there's certain metas, right? And so, so they'll go through, right? And the top explain ex- explain meta. Explain what a what a meta. Is. So a meta is um, the group consciousness of the top level players decide and handshake and agree upon playing a certain style of, of play, right. That works. 
because it's it's almost like confirmation bias where they only play the things that win the most, right? And so they just they go and they look at win rates mm-hmm. and they go and look at um, you know distribution or or whatever it might be or like whatever the game is, right? But they will only play what the statistically highest probable way of winning is, right? And that is the meta, right? And so, for instance, in- they, like, they don't care about any other way no. to play, but they know if they do this, their chances of winning goes up exponentially. Right, go ahead, go right. Ahead. And so it's just a bunch of men trying to, to fight against each other because they're all trying to do the same exact thing, right? And it's like whoever does it the best ends up winning the game but in the end, there's always a way in which to counter. But no one actually ends up trying to do that because that would mean you actually have to think about the game differently, right? And you have to go about it, and it's risky, and you could lose, right? And, and, how, to, and, and how to beat the meta. That's what I'm saying, right? yeah, how to beat the meta, how to counter it, right? To do that, right. it's harder than to just to conform to it. And then. Big Ten's issue is when they leave their little bubble of safety where the meta works and you go play against someone else in a different bubble who has found multiple ways to win. Checkmate. Yeah, exactly. It's checkmate every single time. Every time. Because (laughs) the meta that works in the Big Ten and the, the way in which Big Ten goes about trying to win these games is not not no not only is it not efficient, it's not real. It doesn't work. It's not serious. And so that's why I mean when I say Purdue is ruining the conference. Like these these teams that are trying to win the game in the way in which that they have found is the most efficient way to win. What's another what's another analogy for meta? Um, it's like if you go to like the wing T in football, right? Yeah. Like it's not real. Like you're not really doing this at most levels, but you go up against someone who can stop it, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And you're going up against someone who you, that you're unfamiliar with because everyone in your league tries to run the wing T. You go up against something that you haven't really seen or really experienced. And and they have the dudes to counter any of your crap. Check me. Well, it would be like if college basketball, after Jim Beheim and uh, Carmelo Anthony won the national championship, that everybody just started to go zone. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, it, would be, exactly. it would be like, oh, I saw what they did, and it was so hard to counter, right? And I couldn't really think of a way to possibly beat this. So I'm just going to conform to it instead, and that way I'll just try to beat them at their own game, right? And at no. the end of the day, there are going to be some guys that can do that, right? Who at, like Purdue and Wisconsin can do it year after year after year and end up doing well in the conference. Why? Because they've gotten so good at perfecting it and finding out how to – you know, what are the most efficient ways to find players, the fit that the system, what's the, you know, what do I need to do year after year? And it brings stability, right? But does that mean that's good? Is that good? Is stability good? No. 
stability in college basketball in your program, especially in the style of play in which you play, is bad. Because then if you miss on a guy, or let's say, for instance, the, the Purdue program, right, you have guys that you bring in that don't quite fit the mold, whether that be Caleb first or TKR or um, even Jenkins this year, right? They don't fit the mold of what a Purdue player is supposed to be. They have a hard time actually thriving, right? And they don't get the opportunities that are needed to possibly change the way and change your mind in which that they can play. And that's why Ant and I are sitting here on the podcast, last couple podcasts, talking about that TKR and, and, and first should transfer because they're not getting the opportunities, they're not getting the play time. Yes. And they're not in a place that they can I do it. Just, I cannot wait to see what Edie does because that's going to – because I'm, I'm just going to, like, sit back and wait and see what they do. I'm going to sit back and wait and see what they do. Um, yeah, man, it's – it's so it's so frustrating, and like I would sit here, you know, we were uh, talking about metas, and I'm sitting here like, man, I remember when the dribble drive used to be the meta. I remember when, um, I remember like there were there's just so many different there's there's just you know so many different ways to play in college basketball, and then and then I hear. Uh, De'Aaron Fox last night talking about how like it's hard to watch college basketball because this and that. And I'm like, I like college basketball because there's so many different ways and styles that these teams like to play. And I like the clash. How many styles are there in the NBA? (laughs) It's one high pick and roll play out of it. High pick and roll play out of it. Let's do a little floppy action ball screen. Like they run the same shit over and over and over. The only difference is, who has the top 10 NBA player and who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah. he's like, uh, he's like talking about coaching and I'm sitting here like coaching. I'm like, these are some of the best minds in basketball. They do have their, they do have their flaws and it's fun picking at, at times. But the fact that they're out there playing with imperfect players using whatever system they're trying to use against someone else's system they're trying to use. Like that's why college basketball is so much more fun to me. And it's not college basketball versus the NBA, which is, which happens way too many times and way too much in my opinion. Uh, I think two different games, it's two very, very different games, two different, two different fan bases, which is completely fine. But like everyone, like the, the Big Ten is the one that has its own has its own meta and style of play. I will also say the Mountain West has their own style of play too, and that's why they haven't really broken through. Now they do have San Diego State this year, but still, that's one team. That's only one team. This is like this is the only team that's won any games in a few years, and I think a part of that is because. They have their own meta, which is kind of similar to the Big Ten. Just get these these like big players that just want to wrestle all game long, and that's just how it's gonna be. Um, so they're so they have their own issue. Like the Big Ten is not the only conference that has this that 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 has this problem. But when you have conferences like the ACC, 
the Big East that are all pretty that are all pretty different, but they play through their guards. Yeah, those are the teams that you see do fairly well. Um, and then a couple have also lucked up in getting some getting some veterans as well too. On top of that, did you know? Did you know Meta actually stands for something? It's a, it's an acronym. M E T A. Really? Yeah, it's an acronym. It means most effective tactics available. Boom! There, there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's what it stands for. So, hey, you know what? That is, I mean, is there any better way to define it than that? I don't think there is. No, there's not. So, again, the Big Ten needs to stop conforming to that. Stop. Yes. Stop it. You are not because they need to keep their jobs because that means taking a risk. I know. I know. It's terrifying. It's terrifying for some big time coaches, but I, I swear to God, there needs to be basically what I'm trying to say is there need to be more hires like Shrewsbury, right? There needs to be more guys. You need to bring in more guys that play a different style of play, right? To, to counter the most effective tactic available, Right. You go and you look at the way that Penn State did it this year. If they can go get a guy that can do the same thing, right? They're going to all of a sudden be very scary again, right? And then other Big Ten programs are going to look at their coaches and be like, well, we're not getting our results. Maybe we should kind of do the same thing and go and look at somebody different. I hope that they don't go, hey, we should go look at somebody similar to you know Shrewsbury and then they just start copying the style of play that Penn State's doing because that's not what you want to do, right? You want to go get your own guy that plays a different style of play that makes other teams uncomfortable because they don't play against that style of play night in and night out. That's why when Shaka Smart ran the Havoc offense, it didn't matter if his teams were the most you know, talented teams in the NCAA. It didn't matter, right? Or when Brad Stevens was at Butler and running his stuff at Butler, it didn't matter that those teams weren't the most talented teams because they weren't right. They were mid-major teams. They were, they were working with what they had, but their style of play worked in the NCAA tournament and in their conferences, because it wasn't like anything else those teams had seen. Right. So it's hard to practice against something that you're not used to seeing. It's way easier to practice against something that you see once a week, right? Like you do in the Big Ten, and you get used to, to doing that. And then all of a sudden, Indiana goes and plays a four-out offense in Miami, and they have no idea how to play them, right? All it's all trouble. They have no idea. They can't, they can't do anything on defense, right? And they, they're only a little bit familiar with that because they've played Penn State twice this year, but they didn't play anybody else like that this year. They go and they struggle with an Arizona team that plays like a West Coast style of play. They go and play at Kansas that doesn't play anybody. You know, KJ Adams, what, 6'8? Right? 6'7, six, 6'8. Six, and, and they play through their forwards yeah, instead. Yeah, you have yeah. Jalen Wilson that's out there, and, and they hadn't played anybody like that yet. And that, that's good. That that's it's that's why it's like extremely important to one, if you're a coach, schedule different styles of play and not conference. Don't be afraid to go and play. An Ohio out of the Mac. Don't be going and afraid to go and play, um, you know, Kent State. Don't don't be afraid to go and play uh, San Francisco. 
right? Go and play different teams that play a different style of basketball. That way you at least have some film and some actual game play to look at for your team. So when you're in March, you go, hey, remember that game we played against San Francisco? Well, guess what? St. Mary's runs a very similar system, right? So we're playing St. Mary's today. Let's do this, right? The conference was so much better when it had Beeline and Carmody. Yes. Because they used two guys who relied on that five out, and they threw junk at you. They threw the one three one. They went 2-3 for more than just one or two possessions. Like, right. through the kitchen sink defensively. It wasn't just some man-to-man. Like, And they had some ultra-skilled guys. And Northwestern wasn't very good in terms of like, um, you know, really challenging teams, but from a standpoint of like you, you like you have to guard this offense, or this game can get really funky real, real quick. Yeah. So again, the conference needs more guys like that. Like, you're not going to go find a beat line. I'm not asking Nebraska when they decide to move on from Fred Hoiberg to go and get a beat line because that's not. You know, you know what this conference needs. It wasn't here. They, they they need a couple guys to shake it up. They need muscleman somewhere. I look they need a muscleman type. This might be a hot take, and somebody's gonna come back and look at this podcast in a year or two years and, and laugh in my face. But I think I think Woodson might be that guy. One of those guys. I genuinely do. he does things differently in the Big Ten. He was handed a roster in which was Archie Miller played in a way in which, you know, again he tried to play into the meta, right? That's that's how Archie Miller tried to play. Woodson doesn't want to play that way. And his teams in the NBA didn't play that way, right? And the guys he's gone and gotten in the in the transfer portal and the guys he's gone and gotten in, in whether it's the recruits he's gotten, don't want to play that way, right? Don't want to play the way of just beating you through the post, right? That's why he went and got Jalen Hitchfino. That's why he went and got Tamar Bates. Or he, you know, he hasn't really worked out at all, but still, right? He's tried to go and get guys that aren't don't necessarily fit the Big Ten mold, and that's why I appreciate that. So I'm I'm really interested to see where Indiana goes this you know this off season. I don't think Brad Underwood's that guy, right? Because I I look at his teams and he he he's trying he's trying, but I think he thought that Dang Danger was going to be a much more of a factor than what he ended up actually being this year, and that cost them. And they didn't yeah. have a guard. But I mean, he got some he got some real good wings, and all he needed was a veteran point guard to bring it all together. Um, but he but they went all in on Sky Clark. I don't know why. I don't know why they did that, and I, it just completely. I'm not gonna say a waste of a season, but like, man, the ceiling it killed of that, all their momentum. Is what it did. Yeah, the ceiling really, really dropped on that team because now you had Terrence Shannon, a position playing on the ball. I'm like Terrence, he's way better off the ball. Get someone to create for guys like RJ and Meyer and Shannon and make the right choices and understand pace, so you don't have Coleman Hawkins thinking he's Magic Johnson, right? <laughs> like, like, like uh, they they had this long leash for Coleman, and you know what? Like, I didn't like it, but I'm like, 
dang, they don't have a guard. So it's almost like they needed him to be a bit of more of a creator, a facilitator, because yeah. they just didn't have the guys. They just didn't have the personnel no. um, to go out there and make things happen. And, you know, he had games where he had high assists. I think he had a triple-double this this year too. But, man, he had some ugly games where he's out in the open court trying to make something happen and turnover and ball has gone the, the other way. Happened against Missouri where it was really highlighted – and I even tweeted, I was like, yo, like they got to kind of reel him back in a bit. And what did you see in the Illinois game against Arkansas? You, you saw it show up again where you're playing against playing against dudes. Like you're playing against NBA players. You're going against old transfers where they're going to make you turn the ball over. Like they're, they're going to get up in your chest. They're going to reach from behind if – if you know you think you're good in the open court, they're going to do those things and turn you over. So I, I'm pretty sure he had like five or six turnovers in that game against Arkansas. But man, Brad Underwood's trying. He's really trying, and like I gotta almost commend him for trying like that. Um, I think Chris Collins is trying too. I think Collins is trying, and it did work. It did work for him, and it did take a couple of weird departures like Ryan Young and Pete Nance to leave to realize, yes. realize what you had. I think Chris Lowry and Taylor Battle, I think those two guys did an outstanding job um, with that backcourt. I think a lot, I think a lot of credit has to go to them for like what they did for that team. But man, I'm interested I, to see what, uh, what Fred Hoiberg does not to, not to interrupt you because I think he's another guy that really hasn't conformed. And, and he's been struggling. He's working. He's working with what he has, right? And he doesn't have a lot. But it's hurt. Him. You know, he's on the hot seat because he hasn't conformed. Yeah, that's that's the part that's scary. Like at the end of the day, are you are you feeding the family? Like, are you able to do that? Is this way going to keep those paychecks cashed? And I don't know. I don't know if. I don't know if he's he's going to be able to. He had a like good year is like in quotes capital because at the end of the day, Nebraska was still <clears throat> what twelfth in the league. And they were five. Yeah. They were five hundred below five hundred in the conference. Like, are they getting better? Sure, but were they really competing for a uh, anything? No. <laughs> Not at all. Um, I wish they got an invite to this to the uh, CBI, though. I think that would have been a, lo- a lot of fun to watch. Um, but I I will go out on a limb and say Nebraska's the way that their personnel was. That's a team who would have won some of these seven, eight, nine, ten games. Yeah, honestly, with Sam Greasel, the way that Kise can go off, um, the way that Derek Walker can really um, take care of the paint on both ends. No, and that oh man, what's his name? Number ten. I forget. It's like it was a um, it was this freshman, random guy, Jamarcus Lawrence. I think his name is. Yeah, Lawrence. The way that he came on in the last few games, um, he played he played so well. I'm like, if that kid's going up, and you know, a team like Nebraska, like imagine having to prepare for for you know Kise, then preparing for a six seven point guard, and then. You know you're being you know so you're you're being surrounded by by like a bunch of just random guys 
just a bunch of random guys like C.J. Wilcher, who didn't shoot well from three this year, but could very well get hot in the NCAA tournament, just knowing his history and shooting the shooting the um, the basketball. And how good was Hoiberg's kid? I thought Sam Hoiberg was really good this season. Yeah, he looked really good when he played oh, he late on the season. He was a, he was really like what um, a total revelation for them. But when he played, yeah, just from a defensive standpoint, and just and just and just being that energy guy, like he was a lot of fun to watch. But man, you know, ne- couldn't ne- could Nebraska win a game in the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. But you know what's stopping them? This big Big Ten trench. Yeah. This big moat of Big Ten awfulness. Midness. Midness. <laughs> yes. The, the meta. The Big Ten meta is, you know, stopping is stopping a lot of dudes from really getting to that next level. Yeah. So again, like the, the conference has a lot to work on. It's not going to change in one year. I don't expect a Big Ten team to be competing for a national championship next year. Um, do I expect a Big Ten team to hopefully make the Final Four next year? Yeah, I would say so. But I don't think that they would be a serious contender. You know, like, you know, you know, it's like hard to say that a team making the Final Four is not a serious contender because they're there, right? And they're two games away. But at the same time, I don't expect them to be one of the favorites to win the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not. There's not going to be a roster built with a style of play in which Correct. is conducive to winning a championship. I just expect there to be enough quality teams towards the top of the Big Ten next year that hopefully somebody makes it out of their region. Yeah, and you know, would they be the favorites? No, but but you're still sitting there, and you're and you're a competitor, and you're looking over at. You know who you're facing. You're just like, yo, we got two games. We have two games. It doesn't matter who you're facing, right? As soon as you get to a Final Four, it's yo, two games and it's done. You're a national championship. Two more wins. That's all it is. And as soon as that ball goes up, you catch somebody on a bad shooting night. You catch the ball. A other team gets a little bit of foul trouble, or I'm not saying it was a good thing or a great thing for the fans. But if Noel couldn't come back after his ankle injury, Michigan State doesn't lose that game. Right. No, they, they run away with that game. In fact, I believe wasn't Kansas State up like nine, and then Michigan State came roaring back, and that's why that game was even close in the end because they, they made up the points when he was out. Yes, yes. So I'm not saying like, hey, we're rooting for injuries here. All we're saying is <laughs> yeah. things happen. Yeah, like things happen in these games where you don't know what's going to happen. You know, like last year, Villanova, they're arguably their best player, tears his Achilles. Yeah. And now he's playing in the Final Four against um, – now he's playing in the Final Four against a Kansas team. Villanova didn't have a shot. No. Right? But with Justin – I think that game's a lot closer. I think that game could go either way because that guard play on that team with Jay Wright, you're never counting him out. I think you that team I mean? probably could have won. Not only could that team not won a championship, I think they would have won that game had he been healthy. I think they would have beat North Carolina too. I don't think there was anything that 
that that UNC team could have done against Villanova just with how they were built. Um, so things happen, bro. And I'm, I'm not rooting for things to happen, but like you never know. So all you have to do is put yourself in the, you have to put yourself into those opportunities where bad shooting night, someone can go down, someone's in foul trouble. So you take advantage like Louisville, Trey Burke, Trey Burke is two, gets two fouls in the first half. Even though Michigan went ahead and went way ahead, Luke Hancock woke woke up. What happens if that's Trey Burke in the game? Does he allow all this to happen and go down uh, where they have a bigger halftime lead? So there's so many there's so many variables that can go on. All you have to do is just worry about you, win the next game, and keep it moving, you know, when it comes to the NCAA tournament. So that's tough. That's tough. Oh, man. I'm good. Are you good? I'm good. Two-hour-long podcast. It's two hours of this emotion. It is. It's a, I'm emotional about this because the Big Ten gets so much flack. And you know what it is? Here's You listen this long. Here's my conspiracy theory. It's because the Big Ten's media deal is not with ESPN. <laughs> so there's a bit there, that there is a little bit of some spite because Fox is not the main media outlet that that causes this narrative, right? It's always Sports Center and ESPN that shapes the narrative, right? And ESPN has has the SEC and the ACC, so you know they're not going to say a single word about the SEC because they own the SEC network, fudging it up. What they're going to do is they're just going to deflect to the, their rival, which is Fox, who owns the Big Ten, and CBS, who owns the Big Ten, and then putting out the narrative of like, oh, hey, the Big Ten, another year, another year of them failing. <laughs> like, it's not fair. It's not fair. There you go. There's your conspiracy theory. Yeah, they're not going to talk about the Pac-12 either. Pac-12. When's the last time Pac-12 was won a, a football championship? USC in two thousand and four, five. When was that? Six. So was that was that five? Somewhere. Yeah, Somewhere. that was the last time they won a football championship. You know, the big time at least is Ohio State, wasn't that redacted, right? Wasn't that, wasn't that redacted too? The Ohio State one. No, the. The USC. Oh, the USC one was redacted. Yeah. So when was, I don't even know when that was the last time they won it before then. Right. And again, like, when, Nobody when was the last time a Pac 12 team was in the, the NCAA championship game? Oh, was it one of those UCLA teams? It had to be one of the UCLA teams. I, I know Oregon made it to a Final Four, but I don't think they won that game. No, because, yeah, because they lost that game. They lost. That was 2017, 2017 Oregon. But yeah, they haven't won a title since 1997. People are going to be like, yeah, but what about the, the Big Ten? I'm like, well, people bring it up all the time, but nobody brings up the Pac-12. So oh, you know what? I'll I'll go ahead and do it. You know. So that's it. And SEC's had what? Kentucky since 2012. Last time they won, 2013, 2012. The SEC hasn't won a, a Big Ten or an NCAA championship uh, since then. And it and it and it took a generational lineup to do so. Yeah. 
Yep. Wait, they had well, like Anthony Davis, um, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, right? Yeah, Marcus Teague. Yeah, Teague. Who else did they have? They had they had some other dudes too, bro. They had some. Uh, I'll list off right now. They had some guys. Um, Darius Miller played in the league. Terrence Jones played in the league. Uh, Gilchrist, Duran Lamb. Yeah. Brandon Knight. Davis. Remember Kyle Wilcher? Kyle Wilcher was so good. Josh Harrelson, who's actually a pretty decent backup big. Josh Harrelson. Who? Yeah. Are you on the right year? Yeah. 2011, 2012? Oh, no, wait. Sorry. No, that's departures. I'm looking at departures. My bad. My bad. I was like, what? No, my bad. My bad. My bad. My bad. Wrong year. Wrong year. Wrong year. I, I have a soft spot. Okay. Okay. I have a soft spot for Josh Harrelson. I was going to, I need to shout him out. He actually hooked me up. So when I went to Japan and then I went viral because of the, the Kentucky thing, he actually reached out to me because he played professionally in Japan and he actually still lives in Japan. So yeah, I, I got to hang out with Josh Harrelson. So that was dope. Shout out Josh Harrelson. Yeah, it was actually pretty sweet. Yeah, no, he was a nice guy. Yeah. He played for the Fukushima Firebonds of the Japanese B League. Yeah, he's over there chilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is chilling. Oh, he's he's a dope guy. So shout out Josh Harrison. That's why I, I had to say that. I was like, oh my god, he's so good. He played the league for a couple yep. of years. Yeah, I mean they've had some good players. Yeah, but Marquise Teague, um, Deron Lamb, Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Darius Miller. Like, that's who they needed. That's who they needed, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to look up how much Josh Harrelson made in the league. Bar- Even Eloy Vargas, right? Didn't he play? He went undrafted. Uh, yeah, he plays He plays uh, internationally, but he's a, I, he's a guy that I remember because he went to American Heritage in Florida. All right, so he earned $1.6 million? Which is not bad. After taxes, around one, one point one. Yeah, you know all that's gone by now, though. You know all that's gone by now. So, yeah, I would hope he. I would hope it's not, but you know. <laughs> but still, good for him, though. Yeah, good absolutely. Got got a bag. We're playing the sport he's been playing since he kid is a kid. That's dope. He's kicking. He's chilling. Uh, all right. That's that's all I got. That's all I got for today, buddy. Yeah, I, I I'm uh, I'm tired. I'm gonna go take a nap before the game starts. What? What when do they start? Eight. When's the first game tonight? Um, do they start? I, I bet it's like at like six something. Let's see. It starts at six oh nine. Yeah, six oh nine. Then the next game's at eight forty. So they got to go six oh nine. Two hours. So they'll go two hours to like eight. 10, 8, 15, then they'll have this ceremony that goes 15, 20, 25 minutes, give you a little break for 10, 15, and then go right to Connecticut, Gonzaga. That game guys going to be so good. I'm so ready for that UConn-Gonzaga game. Yeah, that's that's going to be nice. It's going to be nice. I can't wait for that game. Some good games on. Like, FAU is tough. I want to see that match matchup between um, 
between uh, Noel and those quick quick guards. I want to see how healthy Noel's ankle is. Yeah. Because you can you can play right away, but when you you go to sleep and wake up, that thing could be throbbing a little bit. Could be throbbing a little bit. We're gonna have FAU to the Final Four. It'd be nuts. Yeah, it was like there's no dialogue around him. Like nobody really cares. Like there's no, you know what I mean. Like there's no real dialogue with. It's not like Loyola Chicago, right? No, it's not. It's not like Chicago. It's not like them. It's not like George Mason. It's not like VCU. It's very quiet, and I think it's because they beat Fairleigh Dickinson. Like if they if they beat Purdue, I think. It'll be like, oh, FAU, da, 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 da. but because you know what I mean, and then they're like dunking at the end of the game when the game was over. They try to like do like a fancy dunk, and they were getting booed by everyone. I think there'll be more buzz around them if they win this game. Um, but I'll tell you this from a, from a South Florida guy, FAU is like an afterthought even down here. It's it's just funny. It's like people forget that they actually exist in Boca Raton um, because it's it's like Miami, um, FIU, and then like maybe you'll have you'll know somebody that goes to FIU. So even even down here, Southern Florida gets two teams in the Final Four, man, and nobody cares. That'll be hilarious too. No, yeah, no, literally nobody down here cares about college basketball. It's like people like like to rag on like. California, right, for not liking college basketball. It's like nobody in South Florida cares ever. And they have they're about to have two teams possibly in the in the final four. So so the national champion, in my opinion, is gonna be either Miami, Texas, Yukon. I think it's the winner of the Yukon Gonzaga game. Yo, it might be Yukon might do it again, bro. I'm sitting here looking. I'm like, yo, UConn, UConn might do it again. UConn might. That'd be their fourth or, national uh, championship. No, like five or six. Like when they go this deep, they win the whole thing more times than not. Yeah. It's the strangest thing. So like when UConn's good, like they're good. Like when they go, like they win. Yeah. When they go, they win. I won't be surprised if they let me see. Yeah, so they have four tournament, they have four national championships, five final fours. That's absurd. It's absurd. That's- that is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy efficiency. It is. It really is. It really is. So like 99, was that like Ben Gordon? Then 04 was like uh I don't think that was Rudy Gay yet. Rudy Gay came in in 04. No. Was that the beat? No. That Was that 04? No, the beat was um, after that. I played against the beat. You did? Man, you're old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hakeem Okafor. Uh, um, Emeka Okafor. Uh, Emeka. Emeka? Is it? How do you say his name correctly? I can never say his name correctly. Emeka. Emeka. Emeka Okafor. Rashard Anderson. Rashard had a flamethrower. Hilton Armstrong was a dude. Uh, Josh Boone, Cornrows. Charlie Villanueva. 
Yeah. Ben Gordon. Yeah. Marcus Williams was nice. He went to Oak Hill. Yeah. Marcus Williams was real nice. It was real, real I love nice. how at the end of every single podcast, we end up going, I'm on basketball reference looking up some team from 2006. <laughs> this is every podcast. I am just on my computer, full basketball referencing. Nice. That was such, like, that was a really good team. That was a really good team. And they got pretty much no, they got a good team almost every single Almost every single uh, every single game, yeah. Good for them. Good for them. High key, man. Good for them. But yeah, might do it, bro. Because when they go to this point, it's the wrap. And I don't think I don't think Gonzaga matches up well with them either. No, I don't either. That's why I, I'm saying if if Gonzaga can win that game, they can overcome a team that, that I think they don't match up well with like I'll be very excited for that UConn's guards are better and I just think Sonogo is going to be a problem for Drew Timmy and they got and they got that big fresh freshman um what's his name he's like 7-1 7-2 uh UConn's I did a breakdown on on him is it Kerrigan no not Kerrigan it's Caravan. It starts with a C. It starts with a C. No, it doesn't start with a C. Donovan. Yes, Donovan. Donovan Klingon. Klingon. Yes, Klingon. Yeah, 7-2, 265, 275. Not Caravan. Caravan's yeah, 6-8. So like, right? From yeah. a rim protection standpoint, it's going to be interesting. Um, oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be Sinogo shoots 35% from three. Yeah, but he he doesn't take a lot. I still. Yeah, but that makes more sense if you're taking like a lot of threes. He takes one a game. Okay, but still thirty. If you were doing that on four or five attempts, that'll be impressive. Okay, all right. Well, yeah, you're right about that. Man, this is a good UConn team. I'm 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 scared for Gonzaga tonight. They can totally get ran off the court. Hey, but they this UConn team fits the mold, right? Do they not of a what you need for a roster? Yes, yes, they do. Because Jordan Hawkins is a pro. Jordan Hawkins is a pro. Sonogo's a junior. That's like your best player. Tristan Newton's a senior. You have Alex Caravan is is a really good freshman. Andre Jackson's a junior. They fit the mold. They fit the mold. They fit the mold. That is one thing that they do is they fit they fit the mold. So you got dudes, they got older guys, they got veterans, they have guys who are trying to win right now. They got guys that transferred in. Cal Cantera transferred in, right? Yeah, they got the athletes. They, they got the athletes. Um, they've got you know, defensively, you know, they're what on Kempom, what, 13th in the country. Yeah, you know, and they're third in the country for offense. Like you got everything you need right there. Like, like they sh- they should they should win this game, and it's going to be because of their defense. Maybe another because. Coach K disciple is going to win the championship. Hurley. <laughs> you know, I played against Hurley too. Did you really? Not like 
he was guarding me, but like when he coached at St. Benedict's, oh, okay, I played. Okay. So I was playing, and he was the he was the high school coach for St. Benedict's. Mm. Yeah, crazy, 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 crazy. And they had a team then too. They had a squad. Who was on that team? A, um, oh man, would you know Smarto Samuels? Smarter Samuels, no. He went to Louisville, pretty good. Um, Corey Corey Stokes went to Villanova. Okay, Corey Stokes, I know. Yeah, went to Villanova. Um, Cubalon was on that team. He went to like Marquette. They had another kid who went to Seton Hall. Um, they had what you should know this one. He went to. Uh, he played at Duke. And he was a – he might still be in the league. Or he was in the league in the last couple of years. But he's been in the league for at least at least 10, 12 years. Um, I forget his name. So forward. Let me see. I got to go to, like, a random Duke roster. Random Duke roster. He's, like, 6'9". Six nine. Uh, let me see. I'm, I'm naming on. like half of Duke's rosters ever. Six foot nine, random dude from DMV that <laughs> that went. Lance Thomas. Lance Thomas. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh wow. Yeah. So they did. They did have a squad. They had a squad. Did he like bring a in a lot of those guys, or like how how does that work? So like you know they're they're in that like Catholic league up there in the Northeast and. Kind of just go play for him, you know. Okay, okay, okay. yeah. How it goes, um, but yeah, man, that uh, that was really interesting. That was really interesting. That was really interesting. That was a lot of fun. A lot of fun too, bro. All right, but yeah, he's a good coach. So look, last words that I've ever that I've ever spoken with Hurley, um. We're um hold on, <clears throat> we're going through the handshake line because we had just won by like five or six points. And, yeah, um, classic Oak Hill. Right, so like we ended up um, like it was real close at the end. They went zone. I shot back to back threes from like thirty feet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So after so after the game, after the game, they're like going through the line, and he comes to me and goes, and goes, um, goes. I watched a lot of film. There weren't any thirty-five fucking three-point shooters on there. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, I lit, I lit them up pretty good. That was a lot of fun. Um, so like seeing him still being able to do this at a high level is fucking sick. That is funny though. That's so that's so Hurley though. That like he's a high school coach. Just like why there's nobody shooting like that shit. He said nobody was doing that on film. Yeah, he said putting on the scouting report, brother. Like what are you doing out here? You need to relax. You need to calm down and relax. If I find like an an article about that, I'll send it to you. Um, okay. It, it used to be on YouTube, uh, but I think it disappeared like a couple of years ago. 
for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It was weird. But um, but yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think we're good. I think, think we're good now. I think we are now finally good. What is this, two and a half hours in? Yeah. Yeah, rough. And then Amy's been here the whole oh, time with us. Amy's the GOAT. Amy is the GOAT. 100% the GOAT. So I appreciate you sticking with us, Amy. All right. I'll, I'll holler at y'all. Y'all be easy. Have a good one. Bye.